the song that we just sang is actually one of my favorite songs because I think as you grow humanly and also spiritually, you tend to realize what your true condition is. And that prayer becomes more real and real to you. So that's uh, uh, just a song that I've personally enjoyed. But uh, tonight, we're, we're going to get into the book of Daniel as we've started, what is it now, two weeks ago, maybe last week. And I wanted to begin with this slide, and that's to help us understand how the book of Daniel is structured. Because I think by having this overview, we'll appreciate each of the individual topics that we'll be getting into for the rest of the semester. So, as you can see, one of the ways to split up the book of Daniel is to split it up into two sections. The first section, which is chapters 1 through 6, we'll call the victories of God's people. And then the second half of the book of Daniel, chapter 7 through 12, we can call that section the visions of Daniel. And there's a really cool principle here. It's this. If you want to be someone that receives and sees a vision from God, particularly concerning his purpose, you have to be one that has experienced these victories. And tonight, we'll be getting into the matter uh, concerning our diet. And don't, be worried. don't worry, this isn't a physical diet. So we're, we're not talking about that. It's a, it's a spiritual diet. Um, and I think also something that will help us, um, because I don't know, when I went to school, I didn't really learn geography. I mean, I, I was supposed to, but I really didn't. So I figured having a map of what's happening would help us. This is not a geography lesson, so don't, don't worry. It'll be very quick, but I think um, it'll help us really be impressed with what's happening in Daniel chapter 1. So consider the situation. We have uh, Canaan. That's where Israel is. There's the southern part and the northern parts of Israel. Um, about 100, prior, 100 years prior to the book of Daniel, the northern kingdom was taken to Assyria. Then the southern half at around 605 B.C., that's what Tom covered last week, the southern half was taken to Babylon. And if you notice, I wish I put a scale on here, but this exile is not, okay, we're going down the street. This is probably a couple hundred miles, maybe more. I, I wish I had a scale. Um, and I wish I had a pointer, but there's, you can see Babylon. It's on the Euphrates River. That's where Daniel was. And you, have to cons you have to put yourself in Daniel's shoes for, for this to be really impressive. But in, in the verses, uh, Daniel is among the children in whom there was no defect. Uh, the scholars, they think that Daniel was probably no older than 15 years old. Realistically, more like 12, 
or 13. Because the book of Daniel covers about 70 years. And Daniel lived through that time period. So when these events took place, he had to be around 12, 13, no older than 15 years old. So when we cover this, imagine a 13-year-old displaced in a totally different place. Totally different place. And this place, as we'll see, is called Babylon. And, oh, I didn't bring my Bible up here, but Babylon, um, there's a verse in Jeremiah 50 that describes Babylon like this, a land of idols, a land of graven images. And even history tells us that Babylon was full of idolatry. And an idol back then used to be a figure, uh, more like a statue, maybe out of wood, typically out of gold, maybe silver, bronze, and that's who you would worship. And Babylon had countless idols, countless idols. This is Daniel's situation. He went from uh, the land of Judah, where there you would worship, the one true God, and at around 13 years old, he's moved to a totally new place, dark situation, full of idols. And the scripture says, uh, the, the king of Babylon, he tells Ashpenaz, the chief of his eunuchs, to teach the children, uh, among whom Daniel was, uh, was there, tells them, Teach them the learning and the language of the Chaldeans. And give them a daily portion of the king's choice provision and of his wine. And as we saw last week, he also changes their names to something totally different. So what's going on here is you have Daniel and his companions put in a totally different place. Their names are getting changed. They're being taught a new education. They're being taught a new language. And they're given the king's food. Now, as I mentioned, tonight the focus is on the Babylonian diet. Now, if you read it, it might seem like, oh, it's not a big deal. You know, it's just the king's food. But we have to see the context. In, in Babylon, the practice was the way you, you worship the idols was that you would get your, your whatever animal, you would slaughter it, and you would place the meat in front of them for it to decompose. And that would be the idols consuming that food. Um, another practice was, suppose I'm here, I have my food. Maybe I have a guest or a party, and the idol is right there. And we're having, you know, uh, a fe we're having fellowship in the presence of this idol. That was the practice of idolatry. Uh, today, we don't really see that because we're in the U.S. There isn't, it's for the most part a Christian country. It's not, uh, there aren't too many idols around here. But you go to other parts of the world, um, you see 
figurines of Buddha, dragons, golden animals, uh, wooden bugs. These, these are still common today. Uh, and so for Daniel to be offered this food would be, uh, or for him to accept the food that the king was offering, firstly, would offend God. Because that was food that was offered to idols. And secondly, that would be a defiling, to, that would def have defiled Daniel himself. And I put these verses, 1 Corinthians 10 is toward the bottom, or uh, mine is on the bottom. It's the next set of verses in 1 Corinthians 10. Paul says, Are not those who eat the sacrifices those who have fellowship with the altar? So to eat what is sacrificed is to have fellowship with, that, with the one to whom you're offering. And according to Paul, the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, including the Babylonians, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. So my point in bringing this out and what, what's described in, in the setting of Daniel is the Babylonian diet was in fact a demonic diet. So when we get to verse 8, this is a very precious verse. It says, But Daniel set his heart not to defile himself. That is significant. Because, I mean, just imagine, this is a 13-year-old kid. He is standing up to the most powerful man on the earth at that time. And he's saying, Neb, right? That was Tom's name. Neb, you can, you know, you can teach me your language. You can go ahead and put me in this new place. Teach me your education. Go ahead and give me a new name. Uh, if that's what you want to call me, go for it. But I will not eat your food. I cannot eat your food. To eat your food would be an offense to God, and to eat your food would defile me. This was Daniel's heart, and this is what God found so precious. In this kind of situation, where there was no more, God was no longer had a representation. He, had, he didn't have the land. He, the people were dispersed. What God needed the most at this time was a group of people, particularly young people, to stand up to the king and say, I will not eat your food. And that was, that was Daniel. That was Daniel himself. And, but, oh man, this is awesome. I enjoyed getting into this. Because Daniel was, they didn't just talk the talk. He walked the walk. He doubled down. It says, I never read this before, but he initiated a test. You know, typically when we talk about testings and temptations and trials, it's usually the, temp the, the testing comes to us. But Daniel was not like that. He had so much faith that he initiated the test himself. And he says, please, I love this, please test your servants for 10 days. And let vegetables be given to us to eat 
and water to drink. That's how much faith Daniel had. And, of course, what we see is, um, at the end of the test, this is the last verse on Daniel. Uh, this is Daniel 1.15. And at the end of the 10 days, what was the result? They appeared better. And? More fully fleshed. F more fully fleshed. They were, you know, they probably gained weight over those 10 days. You know, if I eat vegetables for 10 days, I'd probably lose weight. But they, they gained weight. This was, this was God. This was Daniel being one with God. So this is... Uh, and what this is, is what we would say, uh, it was in the previous slide, is Daniel's victory concerning the Babylonian diet. So last week we saw Daniel's victory in his identity, right? Daniel, God is my judge. Well, today we see Daniel had a victory over his diet. And this may not seem important to you, but it is very, very, very important to God. Um, the next verse uh, on there is, is from Genesis 2. So why are we going to Genesis 2? I thought we were in Daniel. Well, you got you to wait. Hold on. I'm getting there. So I want you to consider this. God's first commandment to man was not an exodus at Mount Sinai, but it was actually in Genesis to the man that God created. And it shows us that God is primarily not concerned with man's conduct, with man's behavior, with his doings of right or wrong, but that God is concerned with man's eating. And eating in the biblical sense, because the Bible uses this word eating and uses this human action of eating so many times. In the biblical sense, eating is simply to take something outside of you, to take it in, and to let it become a part of you. So in Genesis 2, here verses 16 through 17, God commanded the man, of every tree the garden you may eat freely, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, of it you shall not eat. That was God's first commandment to man. You shall not eat of that tree. And like, like, like Adam, when he ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, he took in Satan. Daniel, for him to eat of the king's choice provision would, would have been him taking in the idols and the demons behind the idols. And then I have a, another uh, key portion there. It's from John 6. This is an example. John 6 is just an example. I think for 
the coming weeks, we'll probably get into the matter of diet more and we'll give some more examples. Uh, but I wanted to just give you a little example in John 6. And we could actually spend weeks talking about John 6. But I'm, I'm only going to share these few verses. So this is what the Lord Jesus says. After he fed 5,000 people, you know, they're seeking him because, you know, they've been satisfied. They want more. And he says, work not for the food which perishes, but for the food which abides unto eternal life. And when I read this verse, and the reason I decided to put it on here is because this verse spoke to me so much. It was like the Lord came to me and he said, Carlos, what food are you working for? Is it food that perishes or food that abides unto eternal life? Is it food that issues in life or food that issues in death? Now, I know you're thinking, okay, well, we're not in the Garden of Eden. We're not in Babylon. So what is this food today? Uh, I'm not eating idol sacrifices. Uh, I'm not. However, there's a principle here. And that, if you consider your experience, we're always taking something in. Always. From the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed, you're constantly and constantly taking something in. I mean, I don't think I'm alone in this. The moment I wake up, there's something coming in. Maybe it's not through my mouth, but it's through my eyes and it's through my ears. I'm always hearing something that I don't want to hear or seeing something that I shouldn't see. And I was just considering some examples, but I think the most relevant example to me and maybe to all of us is the example of the internet. Now, I'm not here to bash the internet. Actually, my professional and academic aspirations are related to the internet. I think the internet is a fantastic invention. But the truth is, is that the internet is like plateware. And it's always serving you something. There's something, some website, some YouTube video, something. There's something that's always being served to you. And what gets me is that even when I don't want it, it still finds its way to me. It's like no matter what I do, I can't escape it. If it's, I, I live in a house, I don't even have Wi-Fi. And I still get it. I just, yeah, mobile data. I just can't believe it. I still get notifications. I have this thing called Google Now. So it automatically pulls things that I might be interested. And some things are not interested. They, they, I don't know how they get there. And, uh, or articles. Sometimes I'm just interested in reading an article. And there are certain ads that come up, defiled. Or, I mean, the, the, the examples are countless. I, my point here is not, okay, Aaron, don't look at that website anymore. Irving, come on, you can't be looking at those videos. That's not my point. The point is, is that every day 
We are always taking something in. And if it's not food that abides unto eternal life, it's food that perishes. It's something that is defiling us. And the way you know if it's, I mean, you know. Actually, I don't have to explain it. You know when it's defiling. There's a sense in you that says, I did not want to see that. Or I shouldn't be listening to this. Or, I mean, there's just a sense within us. And we need to learn to trust that sense. One of the things, the reason that the king is changing uh, the children's name, the, giving them food, is to desensitize them. To not know what's the proper food to eat. And, and we need to come back to that, to know that there is food that defiles us. There are things that, that, that we take in that affects our, our inward being. Now, unfortunately, Daniel, he couldn't just leave Babylon. He couldn't, that wasn't an option. So don't think, all right, well, you know what? I'm going to go to the mountains. I'm going to go to the Appalachians. And uh, that's it. Call it quits, you know. Just going to live as a monk. I guess that's an option. But you know what God desires the most? That there would be some to take a stand. To say to the king of this age, I will not eat your food. I am not taking that in. This is doable. This is our way, quote unquote, this is our way out, is to have a stand and like Daniel, to set our hearts not to be defiled. And towards the end of the, uh, towards the end of this outline, I have some verses on the heart. Because when I read Daniel 1.8 this past week, I was just impressed that God, the Spirit, allowed this phrase to make it into the Bible. You know, there isn't, you know, every word in the Bible counts. And God made it so that these words... Daniel said his heart would be in the Bible. So this is the way. It's by the setting of our heart. Um, there is a way to overcome this Babylonian diet. There is a way that we can overcome the things, the food that gets served to, to us day in, day out. And it's by setting our heart. It is by setting our heart that we can overcome the Babylonian diet. And what I mean by setting the heart, firstly, I'm not saying, okay, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm deciding never to go to that website. I've tried it, doesn't work. The first thing you need to do in setting your heart is setting your heart on the Lord. And what I mean by that is, we need to love the Lord Jesus. You cannot stand up to the king of this age 
unless you love the Lord. And Daniel saying, um, I won't eat your food. In his heart is, Neb, I won't eat your food because I love God. And this is precious to us because, you know, on one hand, as Christians, there should be boundaries. We, we read Daniel's boundaries. He had a boundary. He's not going to cross that boundary no matter what. And I think as Christians, we like to draw these boundaries. Okay, I'll do this, but I won't do that. My conscience lets me do this, but it won't let me do that. And that's good practice. But at the root of it, the fundamental thing we need to deal with is loving the Lord. At the end of the day, what God needs in the middle of Babylon is young people, that would love him, that would set his heart on him, and would say no to the king. That would say, I am not going there. I am not looking at that. Not because I don't want to, but because I love the Lord. You know, I, I know a brother. He, uh, he uh, him and his wife, they have very different diets. Uh, one the brother he likes uh, he likes beef I like beef too but she likes chicken and he likes rice but she likes quinoa and uh, yeah anyway yeah quinoa and chicken <laughs> but my point is this in uh, in their relationship uh, the brother said I will surrender my diet to you not because he preferred the other food, but it's because he loved her and it was willing to be one with her. This is the way that we can be one with God, is by loving him. We have to take care of that. You know, we're going to get into more, I hope we can spend more weeks on the diet and get into some more examples, some more concrete handles. But fundamentally, we need to love the Lord. That's why we have a heart. God created us a heart, created us with a heart because there's a loving capacity in us. We will love something no matter what, but God's desire is that we will love Him. Yeah. The song created me a clean heart. For what? To love Him. That's the goal. Um, so... I'll just read, I'll just finish with these verses. Um, I'm going to finish a little early uh, because I think uh, it'd be good if we have some adequate time on the questions um, in, in small groups. But in 2 Corinthians, and I'll just read this, 2 Corinthians 11, 2-3, For I am jealous over you with the jealousy of God, for I betrothed you to one husband. So this is Paul to the, to the Corinthians to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I fear less somehow as the serpent deceived Eve. Don't be deceived by the serpent. Don't be deceived by the king of Babylon. By his craftiness, your thoughts would be corrupted from the simplicity and the purity toward Christ. 
This is the kind of love that will keep us running the race. It's a love that issues and that sustains our simplicity and purity toward Christ. 